This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 1075 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition. On her last visit, Dr. Cubitt explained the role of proteins in your horse's diet and continuing with the different types of nutrients you'll find most often listed on a bag of feed, it's carbohydrates that go under the microscope, and you may be surprised at what comes into focus. And we'll get right to our tip after this shopping tip from equestriancollections.com. Coach Jen here, and as usual, Debbie is here from EquestrianCollections.com with the EquestrianCollections.com product of the week. And what wonderful, fantastic, matchy-matchy pair of products do you have for us today, Debbie? Well, you know, everybody who listens to me at all or has over the years knows that I am a big one for color. And this year, Tough Rider has outdone itself. Last month, I talked about the neon breeches that come from Tough Rider. Well, now they have a saddle pad um, that has those same colors. They have come in two colors. It's a dark charcoal base, and the, out, the outside of the pad is ringed with either peach colors or neon green colors. Those match perfectly with the neon ventilated shirt and that comes in short sleeved and long sleeved it also comes in the neon green and the peach and it also comes in some other colors blue and yellow but they don't have pads for those colors but they've got those neon colors as well uh, that matches with the breeches and tough rider also has a tights marathon tights that are out with those colors as well so if you look on our site under all you have to do is put in tough rider neon n-e-o-n in the search engine and all these different products will come up and they will match and i got myself glenn always teases me because i buy everything um but i got myself the neon green pad and shirt and it worked so well i made my sisters buy them too so we would all look the same when we go on <laughs> judge pleasure rides and things it's not enough that you're you matchy matchy you want the whole family yeah, to be matchy matchy and the shirt fits true to size, which um, I wanted to be sure to try one on to be sure, but um, it, it fits, it, it really does fit true to size. There is a size chart on the, uh, the, the site. So if you, I'm, I'm usually an extra large and the extra large fits me beautifully. So I feel real comfortable in, in, in recommending that. I mean, everybody's a little different, but the size chart uh, does seem to be very true to size for this product. So I think that if, if, if it was me and somebody told me to look on the website under the t- Tough Rider Neon, I would have a fit because it's so cool. So I would suggest <laughs> you should take a look, and I'll bet I'll see everybody out there on the trail rides, and we'll all be dressed just alike. <laughs> there we go. It's beautiful. I love that the body of each of these garments, or the, or the majority of the garment, is the lovely soft charcoal gray, and there's just a little yes. splash of neon. I like that. It's very That's classy. That's right. It's not... Right, it's not overwhelming, and it doesn't have a huge logo on it or anything. It's just got the little logo at the, you know, it's a quarter zip. So it just comes down and has the little logo. It's really, really looks nice. You'll wear it even without the saddle pad. Yes, it's a very classy-looking item, something that you would expect to see at the high-end sportswear store. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. With the technical, it's got the technical fabric, all the good, you know, all the bells and whistles. You bet. But mostly I like the color. Mostly the color. <laughs> I'm so happy to welcome back, welcome back to the show, Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition. And each month, Dr. Cubitt stops by and takes some time out of her very busy life to talk about uh, various and sundry horse health and horse nutrition topics. And of late, we've been kind of going through the different types of nutrients that you find in your horse feed and what they do for your horse and how they're important and uh, what they don't do for your horse. And it looks like this month, Dr. Tanya, it's carbohydrate time, eh? It is. I am excited to be back and talking about this because I do get a lot of questions on carbohydrates. Um, so anytime that I can share with people to try and clear, clear up any of those misnomers is, is a good time. So I thought I'd talk about um, kind of the two different types of carbohydrates and then all carbohydrates come from plants. So kind of give you an overview of how plants grow because that becomes important when people start to ask me, well, when should I turn my horse out to grass? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, and then a couple of those values, we hear water-soluble carbohydrates and ethanol-soluble carbohydrates and starch and fructans and, oh, my God, what is it all? And then just to put it in perspective, well, how much sugar and starch is something like corn got in it versus alfalfa? So that's kind of my idea for our discussion today. All right. That's a whole bunch, and I've got my pen at the ready. Awesome. <laughs> Why don't I start with then the breakdown of carbohydrates? Because I will have people ask me all the time, well, I read on the internet or I heard from my next door neighbor that my horse needs a zero carbohydrate diet. And I say, well, are we going to put him on the horsey version of Atkins? Not quite <laughs> sure what he's going to eat. <laughs> and it makes sense when you think about Carbohydrates are broken down into two major categories, non-structural carbohydrates and structural carbohydrates. And the names really describe those categories very well. Structural carbohydrates are exactly as the name suggests. It gives the plant its structure, its fiber. So the cell wall makes up the fiber or the structural carbohydrates. So your first cut hay that's a little stalky or stemmy or mature grass that's quite tall it has a lot of structural carbohydrates in it. If you listen to me, every time I talk, I try to make my plug that fiber is the most important part of any horse's diet. So the structural carbohydrates really cannot be reduced in the horse's diet. They're absolutely critical. What we can reduce and what people are hearing is the non-structural carbohydrates. So non-structural carbohydrates, they don't offer the plant any structural value. They're the cell contents or the energy storage unit to the plant. So in those horses that say have crusty necks, they have some kind of metabolic disorder, whether it's tying up, obesity, laminitis, um, insulin resistance, these are the categories of horses that we can decrease the non-structural carbohydrates, but all horses need structural carbohydrates, fiber. So you could use, I don't know if I'm getting this right, fiber and structural carbohydrate are always the same thing or? Yes. So they're always now so there are different types of fiber. Uh -huh, that's what I was but wondering. That's for a whole nother. That's discussion. a different discussion. <laughs> okay, so that's that's a different category. So, yeah. structural carbohydrates, carbohydrates are fiber, but not all fiber is a structural carbohydrate. No, all fibers are a structural carbohydrate. Let's think about structural carbohydrates as like an umbrella term. Fiber is also like an umbrella term, and within 
structural carbohydrate, we've got fiber, and then within fiber, we have hemicellulose, cellulose, lignin, blah, 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 all these different ones. No wonder you but guys have to go to school for so long. That's, that's why it takes you eight years to get a master's degree and a PhD and everything else. This and is very you know convenient. what? When you graduate, all you really know is how much you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know way, 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 way Lots, Dr. Tanya Cubitt. So we've got structural (laughs) carbohydrates are important and good for horses' diets. I've got that so far. I've written that one down. Good. Then we go to the non-structural carbohydrates, which can be broken down into um, really sugars and starches. Then you can break sugars down into water-soluble carbohydrates, which just means in a lab you can extract those out of the plant with water. So it's nothing earth-shattering. And ethanol-soluble carbohydrates, which in a lab they can be extracted out of the plant using 80% ethanol. So really that's where those two terms come from. And then fructans, which are another type of sugar. And water-soluble carbohydrates, it's really a calculation of ethanol-soluble carbohydrates and Fructan. Hope you had your pen because it can get very confusing. But water soluble, the WSC value is the ESC plus uh, fructan. What a lot of people will see or have been hearing on the internet is those non-structural carbohydrates. The non-structural carbohydrate is really a calculation of your WSC plus starch. Got any questions on that before we move on? Well, so the whole non-structural carbohydrate uh, section, the non-structural carbohydrate file folder is very confusing. That's what I've gotten out of that. Yes. Yes, okay. it is. It's it very, is very confusing. confusing. Okay. What we now have is a lot of feed companies won't put those values on the feed tag, on the guaranteed analysis, because the analytical techniques aren't great. Let's just leave it at that. But if you are going to put them on the tag, the American Association of Feed Control Officers, or AFCO, have deemed that you need to write sugar, which represents the ESC, dietary starch, and fructan. They're the three values that you have to list on a tag. And you only need to list fructan if the major portion of the feed is coming from fructan forage because there are no fructans in in uh, grains like oats or barley okay so you're going to start seeing these values a little more often as feed companies start to decide well i think we we want to go ahead and put these on the tags because as horse owners we want to know we want to know and we don't want to have to always call uh, and find out. Um, a lot of companies will actually list these values on their websites, but the more things that we can guarantee and put on the tag, it just makes it a lot easier for consumers. So mm-hmm. look out for those values. Um, you're going to start seeing them a little bit more. But when we talk about those metabolic courses, and I said we could lower those non-structural carbohydrates, um, we're really, when I say lower, for a sick horse or so a horse that's currently got laminitis, we're really looking for the total diet. Now, that includes the forage portion of the diet, so the hay and the pasture, plus the grain to be 10% or less of those non-structural carbohydrates, that NSC value. Okay, so when if I was to look at a company that lists these non-structural carbohydrates in the fashion mm-hmm. you explained, yep. um, what would be considered 
a high number that would be appropriate for a horse that's in heavy work and has no health issues? What would what would that be? Because they they seem to put they don't do they have to do it by percentage, or is it some other milligrams or something? We do put it on percentage, and this is, this is again this whole topic that we're talking about today can get very tricky, and this is where so racehorses they actually need a lot of these non-structural carbohydrates. These types of energies are used for that quick release, fast movement. So barrel racing horses, race horses, they need this type of energy. So yes, we do list it, we'll calculate it as percentage. So it's not uncommon to see a racehorse feed to be up around 35 40% sugars and starches, non-structural carbohydrates, because they really need that type of energy. Our general performance horses, like our three-day event horses or our dressage or showing horses, hunter horses, they don't need that much quick-release energy. Typically, we're trying to calm them and slow them down. Um, So we're going to look at if a horse isn't sick and has nothing wrong with them, um, isn't overweight, doesn't suffer from any of these metabolic issues, then you could probably see around 20-25% is an okay number for those horses. but for the sick horse, we really want it to be 10% or less. Now, if you've got a horse that tends to have a bit of a crusty neck, but you're keeping him exercised and you're just a little concerned, then 12% or less is, is okay. Okay. So how do besides looking at my feed labels, I'm going to go to the feed store, I'm going to go to the feed company website, I'm going to speak with a feed company representative or nutritionist like you, besides mm-hmm. getting that information how else do I know what types of starch? How much sugars and starches are yeah, in the general I, ingredient? Yeah, yeah, how would I know? <laughs> That's a good question because I really, I, uh, I really like people to look at the ingredients on their feed tag. Um, so if you see, if you're trying to look for a low carb, a low sugar starch feed for your horse, you really want to avoid feeds that are high in things like corn, barley, and even oats. If I give you here, so the the sugar and starch value, now my sugar value here for these grains is ESC because again, there's no fructan, but the sugar value for corn is 3%. That doesn't sound bad. The starch value is 70%. So that NSC value that I'm trying to keep low is 73%. So if we've got a feed that's really high in corn, it's just going to have too much sugars and starches for my horse. Barley, 7% sugar, not bad, 54% starch. So cereal grains, they store their energy, excuse me, as starch. Oats, 3% sugar, 44% starch. Now, a lot of people like to use beet pulp, um, and there are some companies that sell just straight beet pulp for a low-carb feed. And it is. It ranges anywhere between 5 and 10% sugars and 1% starch because most forages, beet pulp being a forage, doesn't, doesn't, uh, do not um, store their energy as starch. Alfalfa. This is another tricky one because a lot of people will say to me, oh, I couldn't feed alfalfa to my, uh, you know, metabolic horse that's got far too much carbs in it. No, alfalfa is a really low carb forage choice. 8% sugar, 1% starch. So my combined NSC value is 9%. So that is a good option for performance horses because alfalfa does have more 
energy or calories than most cross hay. So um, if you've got a really fat horse, it may put extra weight on them, but the sugar and starch content is low. So I recommend alfalfa to be in a diet, say a horse that ties up and needs a low sugar starch diet, or even a performance horse that has some of these metabolic issues and we're trying to maintain weight and exercise level, alfalfa is ideal. Interesting. So if you've got a horse that you that has been diagnosed with a, with a metabolic issue, if you're feeding yep. the horse um, alfalfa as part of his total diet and part of his forage, that weight gain is the type of weight gain that is associated with um, higher calorie content, not the yep. type of weight gain associated with that metabolic health issue manifesting itself, which is, yep. I would guess, the more dangerous of the two. Mm-hmm. And in people, we know that um, the weight gain that is really dangerous is weight that you gain around your abdominal, around your stomach, really, about your, around your abdominal cavity. That's the most related to heart disease, diabetes, cardiovascular issues. In horses, that it's not around their belly. It's on their crest. So horses that develop a crest, even if they don't develop body fat anywhere else, they're still at much higher risk for developing their version of those human diseases like um, insulin resistance or uh, laminitis. Interesting. So yeah. again, now I've got a healthy horse that does not have a metabolic issue. Mm-hmm. Do I need to be concerned? And he's a, he's a, He's a weekend show horse. I take him to barrel yep. races on weekends, perhaps, or some events, or maybe I do the local hunter circuit. Do I have to be concerned about looking at the uh, NSC values of his horse feed? No, not really. Um, the one time that you would probably look at the ingredients in his horse feed is if he starts to get a little hot, like he's a bit hyper and he's a bit uncontrollable and you can't exercise him anymore and you still need to give him feed to maintain his body weight, we do know also that these um, high non-structural carbohydrate ingredients like corn, oats, barley can also elicit a behave a different type of behavior in some horses prone to it. So if we feed, you know, a horse that's already tending to be a little hyper, uh, a thoroughbred or a, an Arabian, high grain, high sugar starch diets, they might get a little more hyper. Um, But other than that, no, you really don't have to look at it. Now, feeding these high grains isn't necessarily the most healthy for horses. Um, We really like to have our performance horses on more of a high-fat, high-fiber diet. It's just better for overall gut health. Um, But as far as metabolic health, you don't really need to worry about it. If you keep your horse's body weight under control, um, you're fine. Now, do they know, this is a little bit off topic, do they know at this point, without any doubt or do they have suspicions that these metabolic issues can be caused by high high sugar diets like in a human because a human can develop diabetes simply from living on a very poor quality diet that's high in sugars for a long period of time he's statistically more likely to develop a a metabolic issue do they mm-hmm. have any data like that for horses yet no really in horses it more comes down to um that we know that these high sugar starch diets can exacerbate these issues, but obesity is the trigger to most of them. Um, 
once you get fat, you're typically going to then get insulin resistant. And then because you're insulin resistant, that's going to mess with glucose and insulin regulation and that will affect blood flow and that can cause laminitis um, as well as um, GI issues, which there's lots of different causes for laminitis. So it's not really the cause of it, but we know that horses that are susceptible that have those issues cannot have high sugars and starches because it will make it worse. Interesting. So we are, and and on, on that, um, a horse that has had laminitis, has been overweight, insulin-resistant, laminitic, if you get the body weight back under control, it still doesn't matter. Um, you still have to be very cautious with what you feed that horse because obesity is much more damaging than being too thin. Um, so the longer you're overweight, the more hormonal patterns are changed, the more um, lasting damaging effects that you have. So a lot of horses that I work with, um, we've gotten their body weight under control, they're giving them plenty of exercise, they no longer have a crest, but we can never ever feed them a high, high sugar starch diet. And we also have to make sure that they stay off high sugar grasses as well. Well, I was so going to ask that question, what about pasture? How, how does pasture. grass can't it's, possibly have grass in it, sugar in it? Uh, it, it doesn't taste sweet uh, at all. Oh yes, you've picked spring grass and chewed on it, and it's really <laughs> sweet versus like stalky old grass. And really, the forage portion of your horse's diet is the largest portion of the horse's diet. So most of us get really caught up with the the grain that we feed the horse, but really, the forage is the largest part of his diet. So if you've got a thousand pound animal, he's going to eat at least 1% of his body weight in fiber. That's 10 pounds. Not many people are going to feed 10 pounds of grain to their horse. So we've got a lot uh, riding on this forage portion. Um, And legumes versus grass, they store their energy differently. But let me go back to how do plants grow because this really is important for Uh, The big question is, when do I turn my horse out? So we know that spring grass is full of sugar, so I'm concerned about when I turn my horse out. Well, it comes down to more than just which season I should avoid and what time of day I should avoid. So we did some research where we actually, in the spring and in the summer and in the fall and the winter, we measured horses that were out on grass and they were grazing on grass all day long and all night, and we measured the glucose and insulin in their blood, and then we measured the sugars in the grass. And the sugars in the grass are the lowest in the morning, and they're the highest in the afternoon. And the reason why is during the day, the sun shines on the plant, photosynthesis, if you go back to high school biology, photosynthesis occurs, and these plants accumulate and store energy. In grasses, that's sugar. In legumes, it's starch, and we'll get to that. But then throughout the day, it accumulates, accumulates. So by the middle of the afternoon, we've got all this sugar accumulated or energy accumulated. And then when the sun goes down, no more photosynthesis, no more energy storage. So then that's when the plant grows. And it grows overnight. And to grow, it uses that energy first thing in the morning when the sun comes back out, that plant has used up all the energy overnight and now it's ready to start the whole cycle again and start accumulating energy so at night it can grow. So first thing in the morning is the lowest sugars in the grasses, middle of the afternoon is the highest. 
but grasses and legumes like alfalfa or clover are different. Think about legumes like alfalfa or clover as self-limiting. They're just like your, they have a gas tank like your truck does. And when the sun is shining on them, they will only accumulate as much starch as can fill up that gas tank. Then the plant has to grow in order to make space so we can put more in there. Grasses, they will continue to store sugars while the sun is shining. There is no limit to the amount of sugar that they can store. I've seen some values on grasses where the sugar content was up around 20-25%. There is no way legumes are ever going to get that high. Interesting, but but yet you don't see, at least for horses, pastures with legumes in them because nobody would pasture a horse on an alfalfa pasture. No, and the other reason is, as agronomists, what we've done, the other things we think about when we design um, grasses for horse pastures is, well, now we can find horses into smaller pastures areas so we've got four or five horses on five acres so there's a lot of areas of the field like near the waterer or near the gate that it's going to get trampled and maybe they're going to get muddy and this grass has got to withstand seasons because you've got to think about and the horses in the wild horses roamed over wide open spaces they didn't spend all their time on one plot of grass and so as agronomists, we've tried to make grasses stronger so that they can withstand trampling and not get ripped out and not die during the seasons. What makes a grass stronger? Sugar. Really? That's its ability to store energy. So a lot of your improved pastures are going to be higher in sugar content. Interesting. So is taller grass, for example, you mow it and you set your mow at a very high level or you have fewer horses so the grass is taller? Is taller grass going to be lower in sugar than grass that's been cropped real short? Because I know my horse always eats the short stuff first. The short stuff is the sweetest. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, because it's the youngest, it has the least amount of those uh, structural carbohydrates. At you, as the plant grows and gets more of those structural carbohydrates, it also develops certain types of those structural carbohydrates that are less palatable and less digestible. So that grass isn't that tasty. So we don't like people to cut, leave the grass too high because then there's just a lot of bulk. So that will just make them fat. But we don't want you to cut it too short either because too short, uh, we're going to only have that really sweet, sweet grass. And also, if you get a drought or just a time where there's less moisture, then your grass is a lot more stressed and may actually die off. So we recommend, you know, around five, six inches mm-hmm. Got it. Um, for a good height. Yeah. Got it. I'm going to make a note. Set, reset mower. Okay. <laughs> so that's how the plant grows. That's how it stores the carbohydrates and then it uses them up overnight to get a little bit taller. So we've mm-hmm. got that and we've got to... So ideally, you're going to, if you've got that horse that uh, is going to have some metabolic issues, timing his turnout is going to give him the ability to eat a little bit more grass with less effect on his metabolism. Absolutely, yeah. Got it. Okay. The other things you can do are also, if you don't have the ability to lock them in in the afternoon is you can put a grazing nozzle on them and they can still eat grass through the grazing nozzle and they can drink and all kinds of things. And that's actually something that both of our horses wear because they're both prone to chubby 
and prone mm-hmm. to crusty. And something, an added benefit that I discovered with the grazing muzzles is because of the th- thickness of the rubber base on it, it keeps them from eating the super short grass because you can't get yes. down that far. So not they only they can't nip it exactly, they can't pull it really close to the ground. And it, it frustrates frustrates Beaker a little bit because Beaker's a little fussy. He would he would really rather not eat that tall, stringy, less tasty stuff. He wants the really mm-hmm. yummy bits at the bottom. So, uh, but very well worth the time and effort to put, to get your horse to learn how to wear one of those. The only thing I think they need to develop with a grazing muzzle is a harness that goes up over the neck, over the withers, and straps around the girth because they <laughs> always get them off. That, that is very difficult. You have to become a real expert at fitting those things. And, oh, you do, yes. Oh, yes. And, and uh, Cribox is your friend, that stuff they make to make, mm-hmm. make your halter taste terrible so his friend doesn't take it off for him. <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. I haven't thought of that one because, yes, the other ones in the field are always ripping it off them. Yes. There's just one more thing that I want to touch on before we end, and that is we mentioned a little earlier about the sugar and starch content and what is the ideal percentage, 10 to 12% for your sick horses. Um, and so when people look at feeds and if they're looking at the tag, they're going to be looking for those values. But what I need to get people to understand is percentages don't mean anything unless they're assigned to an amount of feed that you're feeding. So, for example, um, let's say we've got a feed that has 25% non-structural carbohydrates, which most people would say, and based on what I've just said, is way too high. There's no way they would ever feed that horse. But you're only feeding one pound a day of it. Then we have, so if you work it out, you actually only end up feeding your horse about four ounces of sugars and starches versus if you were to feed a feed that was 13% sugars and starches. Well, that's more close to what we would like, but you have to feed three pounds a day of it. Now we're getting around six ounces of sugars and starches. If we look at 11%, but you're feeding five pounds a day of it, you're getting nine ounces of sugars and starches. So don't be fooled by just looking at the percentage. Do a little quick calculation. Get out your phone, find the calculator app, and look at, okay, this is the percentage amount, and I have to feed one one pound a day. How much am I actually getting out of it? Got, so, so yeah, it's a little bit of mathematics. Anything from yeah. ten ounces or less of sugars is going to be fine. There we go. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Tanya Cubit from Performance Horse Nutrition. If someone has more questions and they're utterly confused about this whole nutrition thing, how can they find you? They can email me uh, at tcubit c u b i t t at gmail dot com. There we go. And and. and I'll try and and the website is performancehorsenutrition.com. And I also found on performancehorsenutrition.com. We do have a Facebook page, too, so they can put Facebook. their questions on there. And Facebook, and then everybody can enjoy the answers. The, you, have a, you have a great book there, the 101 Most Frequently Asked Horse Nutrition Questions. I'm going to buy that for myself for Valentine's Day. Available. Wonderful. And we just got more printed, so they are available. And you can go on and PayPal those books. Yeah, they're cool. There's 101 different 
uh, questions that people ask that we've heard over the years, and we've tried to cover them all in there. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Dr. Tanya Cubitt. Thank you. See you next time. Well, that about takes care of it. You can find links to today's guests as well as more tips on topics ranging from barn care to websites for horse people at horsetipdaily.com. If you want to listen to all of Dr. Cubitt's tips, just type Dr. Cubitt or Cubitt, C-U-B-I-T-T, into the search bar at horsetipdaily.com. This podcast was made possible through the generous support of equestriancollections.com and listeners like you. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.